Hi, this is Braden Holpe. This is Bob Stauffer from the Oilers Radio Network. Hi, this is Brian Burke from Toronto, Ontario. This is Daryl Sutter. Hello, everyone. I'm Carly Agro from Sportsnet Central. This is Jay Onright. This is Quick Dick Quick Dick coming to you from Tufnell, Saskatchewan. Hey, everybody. My name is Steele Fleury. This is Kelly Rudy. This is Corey Cross. This is Wade Redden. This is Jordan Tutu. My name is Jim Pattison. Hey, it's Ron McLean, HockeyNet in Canada and Rogers Hometown Hockey, and welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. We've got a great one for you today. But before we get there, let's get to today's sponsors, HSI Group. They're the local oil fuel burners and combustion experts that can help make sure you have a compliant system working for you. The team also offers security, surveillance, and automation products for residential, commercial, livestock, and agricultural applications. They use technology to give you peace of mind so you can focus on the things that truly matter. Stop in at 3902 52nd Street or give Brody or Kim a call at 306-825-6310. Lauren over at Art and Soul. She's the lady who makes your heirlooms last for a lifetime. Sitting in my studio right now, I have all these jerseys uh, around me have been framed by her, and they look superb. I promise she will not disappoint you if you stop in and share your idea. She always asks why someone is framing an item, and her stories about all the different items she's framed go on and on. And she truly <laughs> remembers everyone by the piece of artwork or, you know, jersey, what have you, that they bring in. It doesn't matter if it is a jersey, a photo, artwork, you name it, she's framed it. So stop in today, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Give her a call, 780-808-6313. Uh, and she's located at 5016 39th Street. It's more than just a frame. It's a story. Foremost, they offer smooth wall grain bins, hopper bottoms, and fuel tanks. They're in stock and manufactured locally. They want to ensure you know that they're constructed of the highest quality and engineered for a long life. Delivery is free within 300 kilometers of Lloydminster. You can buy them at any of their co-op locations, Lloydminster, Lashburn, or Neilberg. For more information, check them out at their website, foremost.ca. Titus Tools and Tracy Klotz, uh, locally owned business formed back in 1997. Mr. Tracy has over 40 years of experience in the oil patch. Uh, under Tracy's direction, they have remained lo uh, extremely loyal to the Lloydminster and surrounding community, continuing to invest in local charities and fundraisers. I've mentioned before uh, them getting on board with Andrew Mavridis, guest on the podcast, MMA fighter, or how about Brandy Hofer, another guest on the podcast, the extremely talented artist. And yours truly, they've now hopped on and been sponsoring um, the podcast here. So a real huge shout out to Tracy Klotz and the team over at Titus Tools. If you're interested in finding anything more out about them, head to TitusTools.com. Gartner Management is a Lloydminster-based company specializing in all types of rental properties to help you your needs. Whether you're looking for a small office or a 6,000-square-foot commercial space, give Wade Gartner a call at 780-808-5025. And finally, a special shout-out to Deanna Wandler and the team at Read and Write. That billboard, Mint, drove by it again today. And, uh, man, they just did such great work there. If you're interested in getting a big old billboard up, give Deanna a call over at uh, Read and Write here in Lloydminster. If you're interested in any uh, advertising on the show, make sure you uh, visit SeanNewmanPodcast.com, top right corner, hit the contact button, and send me your info. Uh, we got lots of different options, and I want to find something that can work for the both of us, make sure if you stop into any of these businesses, you mentioned uh, you heard them here on the podcast, helps them know people listen and care, and it helps this guy out too. So let's get on to your T-Bar 1 tale of the tape. 
originally from Bonneville, Alberta. He is 29 years old. He holds a pro MMA record of 19-6-1. He signed with the UFC in 2019 and currently fights in the UFC heavyweight division. He is ranked 15th in the world, and since starting in the UFC last year in 2019, he holds a record of 3-1 in the UFC. So buckle up. Here we go. Hey, this is Tanner the Bulldozer Bozer, and welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Okay, well, welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Tonight, I'm joined by Tanner Bozer. So first off, man, thanks for hopping on with me. Yeah, bro, thanks for having me. So let's get right to it. How much fun are you having right now? Uh, it's, it's a lot of work, but I mean, I like my life. It's, uh, it's a fun lifestyle, I suppose. It's again, it's a lot of hard work. I train a couple times a day, sometimes three times a day. And, uh, yeah, you know, but, but again, it doesn't, it's hard work, but it doesn't feel like I'm going to work. So I guess that's good. Well, you got a, a job you like doing and when you like doing something, well, that makes it easy to go do, even if it's tough work. Exactly. So got nothing to complain about <laughs> you know uh you got you've probably told this story a thousand times so i apologize for asking but i gotta ask anyways because i find it so intriguing you fight twice in the last like you know it was like a month span you fight in vegas you come home you quarantine then you hop on a plane and you go down to um abu dhabi and fight again can you lead us all through that because i I just have a hard time wrapping my brain around it. And hearing you talk about it is just almost mesmerizing because I'm like, God, and to win both of them, like, it's just a cool story. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I was scheduled to fight Felipe Linz. Uh, actually, I guess I'll go before that. I was scheduled to fight Jeff Hughes. I think it was March 27th was the date, but because of COVID, uh, that card got pulled and, and there was like three cards in a row that all got, postponed and they got canceled so it sucks because i was in training camp starting like january 2nd i'm in i've been training hard i'm in wicked shape that fight gets pulled but i just keep training hard through covid i'm doing just tons of strength and conditioning because uh we can't train together and you know you can't do kickboxing or jujitsu or anything like that so i just got in really good shape and then uh i did have like a good amount of notice like maybe it was six weeks or something fight felipe lins uh in june 27th like okay and felipe Linz had won the 2018 pfl tournament which was a million dollar tournament uh, he beat some good guys there and felipe Linz was a way harder fight at least on paper than jeff hughes uh you know credit where credit's due jeff hughes was the lfa champion and stuff but i, I was pretty sure that was going to be a walk in the park for me but i get felipe Linz. okay it's going to be a hard fight uh, i go to vegas uh, we have to do all these COVID tests and quarantines and stuff like that. Come fight night, everything goes my way, and I knock them out in a couple minutes. Uh, highlight reel, it's viral, it's great. Uh, people start thinking I'm cool, finally. <laughs> and then uh, I go home and I have to quarantine for two weeks. So I eat a lot and drink a bit. I'm not like a heavy drinker, but I mean, I, it was like Canada day was in there. And I mean, I do like to mix in a few beers after fights. So a couple of weeks of not treating my body the best. And as I'm 
the morning I get out of quarantine, I'm, I'm about to head to the gym. I get a call and Hey, do you want to, well, actually during quarantine, I got a call to fight Marcin Tabura and it was on Canada day. I got a call. I'm drunk. And it's like, do you want to fight Marcin Tabura? And it was like in, in oof, like a week. And I'm like, I, I would, but I can't leave the country. There's no way I'll for sure get arrested if I show up at the airport because I'm under quarantine. So that there's no way. So UFC said that they were going to try and get that lifted for me, but it didn't happen. And they ended up going with a different option. So then just as I get out of quarantine, Hey, do you want to fight Rafael Pessoa in like a week and a half? Uh, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the gym and I, I want to do it. Um, my body probably really doesn't want me to do it. So I'm going to go to the gym and ask my coaches and I know they're both going to say, go for it anyways. So I go to the gym and my coach puts me through this horrible, horrible conditioning thing, like just awful. And, and I did okay. I died after I was puking and, and just like laying on the ground. My head hurt so bad. Like I laid there for 45 minutes, you know, I couldn't sit up and he's like, well, you know, you, your times were fine. Your everything looks okay. So if you can go put in, 15 minutes like that in in a fight you can die after so go ahead so i i took the fight i had three days in the gym and then i had to fly out on thursday even though the fight was the following saturday so i got three days in the gym it was the worst three days of training of my life it was so bad my coach just put me through the ringer twice a day just to try and morph my body back into shape because like my body could remember what being in shape was like it was just two weeks ago, but I had had two weeks of skip the dishes and beer. So I, uh, it felt like I, I was giving birth to like an alien out of my stomach. Like my stomach was like twisting with knots. It was horrible. And then we, we go to Abu Dhabi. First we go to Vegas. We have to get a coronavirus test there before we can even go to Abu Dhabi. So we go there, get the coronavirus test, quarantine, everybody's fine. And then we get like a chartered flight to Abu Dhabi from Vegas, which was awesome. Best flight I'd ever been on in my life. I had like a sleeping pod and uh, like any food on the menu, which would actually had like a really good chef on board, could order anything. It was phenomenal. Uh, get to Abu Dhabi. And I guess, I guess the flights were paid for by um, one of the royal families in Abu Dhabi because there was some, I don't know, princes or sheiks or whatever that were watching the fights live like right next to the cage but there was obviously no audience there because of covid no true audience but there was like a few you know high status people there uh get to abu dhabi again coronavirus test quarantine uh i give some laundry to get done and someone steals my sh shorts that's a whole other thing and then uh we have the coronavirus test several times throughout the week pretty much confined to a sliver of the island. My corners are going out and they did, uh, there's a formula one racetrack that goes through part of the hotel. And my cornerman went and said it was a blast. I didn't really want to do it. Cause it was, I don't like to do stuff like that fight week. I don't know. I like to just kind of stay and stew in my anger and stuff like that. And just be bitter about everything. <laughs> I like to be miserable on fight week. It's just how I function. So I stayed at the hotel and, Eight, for a few days before UFC's PI guys got there, they have Performance Institute people that cook you food, kind of tailored. Like if somebody was cutting a bunch of weight, they would weigh you and do all these tests and give you uh, the food you needed to make weight. I don't have to make weight. So they give me some, just like big meals. A lot of mine had steak, lots of avocado, 
rice and everything. But before the guy got there for a couple of days, the hotel was just giving you food. Like you, you got a few meals a day for free from the hotel. They're pretty good. But I found the menu hilarious because it was like UFC menu for the fighters. And there was like, I don't know, probably eight options. It was like falafel burrito. Ate a bunch of them. They're delicious. But I mean, if you're one of these little guys cutting weight, there's no way that would fly. There was a burger. I'm like straight up, who's getting this on my feet? There was a fish and veggies one that was actually delicious, but it was smothered in like a cream sauce. Again, I can get away with this, but I'm looking at guys who are like in the smaller weight classes, not being able to eat any of this stuff. There was a tandoori chicken pizza. Again, I ate a couple of them. Great, but it was a hilarious menu. And we could order that throughout the week. So I did. My, my cornerman and one of my training partners, Teddy Ash, a wicked fighter as well. Um, he ate, I swear there was a day where he ate like three of those damn pizzas. He at least had a pizza every single day. So he abused that menu a bit. Uh, fight night, again, everything goes well. Felt sharp on fight night. Well, on fight day, one of their tests, my cornerman's test came back uh, positive for Corona. They said that it was basically impossible because we were in this safe zone and everybody who comes in and out has to get tested and stuff. But there's a false positives happen like quite frequently with it. So then they retest them. They come back negative, but they have to retest them twice before they like allow it to go. So and I'm, I'm starting to sweat like an hour and a half before I'm supposed to be downstairs getting ready to like go to the arena for the fight. I'm like calling my manager and calling UFC and I'm like, Hey, like, we we fighting or not like is what are what's my cornerman's deal and if if they can't fight because they're staying in the same room if one of them's test comes back positive and i don't have any corner man is there someone there that can just like give me water in between rounds i guess like i don't know what's gonna happen you know uh then no the test comes back negative we're good to go go downstairs we wrap our hands at the uh hotel it was a weird setup we had to wrap our hands there and then they bus us just not very far to their setup for where they were hosting the fights with the octagon there, warm up there, fight goes my way, uh, win by TKO in round two. And uh, yeah, then the next day we go to the beach and drink some beer and um, head home on another chartered flight. That was absolutely awesome. So yeah, it was uh, all in all, it was a whirlwind of a month filled with quarantines and stuff like that. But also filled with a couple good wins for me. So I got performance of the night in the second one. So that was, you know, a nice uh, paycheck for me. So yeah, okay. man. A healthy good. chunk of money in, in uh, performance of the night, eh? Yeah, it's 50 grand, which of course is awesome. Uh, sounds awesome when you factor in the fact that you have to pay taxes and your manager off of it. Suddenly it's like half of that. But I mean, that's still, that's still a great bonus to, for me to get. So yeah, it was pretty sweet. Um. You know, you're a guy that uh, has traveled a little bit while the COVID lockdown's been on. You've had to take the COVID tests. What, uh, well, are they as uncomfortable as everybody makes them out to be? Is it, I mean, you're the, a guy who takes, yeah. you know. The, the throat one is mildly uncomfortable and that like you're gagging because they have to swab the back of your throat, but no big deal. Um, the nose one is really uncomfortable, but it lasts for half a second. So I don't. It, it sucks. Like you wouldn't want to do it, but I don't know how all these people are making it sound like it's the worst thing in the world. Like it feels really weird and uncomfortable for half of a second. What, uh, what have you been doing when you, I mean, like you're a young guy, you come back, you just, 
won a fight in Vegas. Let's start with Vegas. Well, either one. It doesn't even matter. You come back to Canada, and then you got to lock yourself in your apartment for two weeks by yourself? Yeah, that's what you got to do, which doesn't make any sense if you ask me because we have abundant tests here. Anybody can go get a coronavirus test at any time for any reason. So I don't know why you're not allowed to just go get a test and it come back negative and then you can go rejoin society. You should definitely have to quarantine until you get a test and it comes back negative. But I really don't understand why they can just give you a timeout when there's ample tests available. But, you know, where we're at. <laughs> it is right where we're at right now. What is the, you know, um, NHL's in full steam right now with playoffs going on. What is the the UFC's bubble been like? Is it uh, been an interesting life once you're, you know, around where you're going to be fighting? You, you talk about the hotels and the menu. Like, is it, uh, you know, enjoyable or is it just kind of not that big of a deal? Well, so for me fight weeks never enjoyable anyways um so how how so what do you what do you mean like stress or like yeah you got a lot of pressure you know you you're you're gonna try and fight somebody and try and kill them in in a few days you know it's not like you're it's it's a weird it's a very weird feeling uh and you're conscientious of that you want to put everything good in your body so the food is you know you can enjoy some food in vegas you can you could go about uh, you have to get tested a couple times and you have to get, you have to quarantine when you first get there uh, till your test comes back. And then you have to get tested mm, after weigh-ins and then you have to quarantine until the fight, but you can still get skip the dishes or, or Uber eats or whatever in Vegas. Uh, Abu Dhabi, we were a lot more restricted in what we could do. There was like a, portion of Yaz Island that we were allowed to uh, go around on and there's a few things to do but I didn't really venture outside of the hotel until after the fight because it's super hot and I just yeah don't don't need to be doing anything. you're a polar bear from northern Alberta and you go to Abu Dhabi yeah I can imagine <laughs> yeah it's it's hot but it's, <laughs> it's going for a bit when Again, after the fight, I don't want to go outside and just get overheated. Everything you're doing on fight week, you got to be really conscious of if it's going to positively or negatively possibly affect your performance. You know, you talk about the the stress of leading up to a fight. Um, you know, you, MMA fighting or just fighting in general is is different compared to all the major sports. Because the major sports, you think of like baseball, you get 162 games. You think of the NHL, you get 82 games, et cetera, et cetera. You know, for a, a guy yourself, what are you getting in a, in a, in a year? Three to five fights? Five yeah. is probably heavy? Yeah, five is a busy schedule. Four is like a high average, and three is, I'd say, normal. Yeah, so, two, would be, two would be low normal. That's not even like odd. So like I get like that you get a couple opportunities a year to either move up the ranks or fall down the ranks. And you talk about, you know, you get a, you get a win and all of a sudden you're everybody's favorite, but we all know the old song. Like, I mean, all it takes is the one punch to go the wrong way. And now everybody's shitting on you for the next freaking four months. Oh uh, yeah. Do you enjoy that stress? Like uh, you talk about you're a miserable guy for the week. Do you, do you enjoy the, lead up or after the fight it's just nice thank god that's over and, and we can go back to being in the gym training and i can drink a beer or two and carry on 
Yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely uh, – you hit the nail on the head with after the fight, like, oh, thank God that's over. Like, it's a, it's a relief when you win. It's weird. Uh, you know, you get, you get excited later, but at the moment you're like, ah, oh, great. Like, yeah, I did it. Sweet. You know, uh, big weight off your shoulders. Yeah. Um, I thrive in it. I do enjoy the pressure and I enjoy, uh, I enjoy the competition, but at the same time, like, you know, you're, you're not upbeat. Like it's going to be a fun time. You know, everybody, oh, you know, the tough part's done, bro. Now it's the fun part. Give me a fucking break. You know, it's, you're going in there fighting somebody who's trained specifically to try and kill you for a while, you know, kill you within the confines of a rule set and the referee stops it from happening. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a different sport and you're right. You, you only get a few times a year. So, uh, the old adage, you know, if you're, if you're only as good as your last fight. So if you, if you lose horribly, well, guess what? You suck until you, until you go with one or something. Um, yeah, it's odd. Plus, plus a lot of stress financially because you're the MMA pay scale for most guys, you get a, an amount to show and an amount to win. And it's usually the same number. So if you make, just for example, if you make 20,000 to show, you make 20,000 extra if you win. Like you're gambling on yourself a lot of money every single time. So it's, it's a lot of risk financially. I mean, yeah, physically. Uh, but I don't think the physical thing is what a lot of guys worry about. The guys that are fighters aren't the guys who are worried about getting hurt. That's not a thing any of us care about. What you, you don't want to lose. You really don't want to lose uh, for your status, your ranking, your paycheck. Losing affects you bad, and it's not really the physical damage that I think most guys are worried about. Well, hell. And can you imagine if the rest of sports, you showed up to a hockey game and you're getting paid, like you say, 20 but you win, you get paid tw- uh, an extra 20? Frick, it'd be mayhem out there. <laughs> I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, one of the things about an 82-game regular season in the NHL is it just kind of gets boring in the middle, right? Because, I mean, if you're in the playoffs, you're in the playoffs. If you're not in the playoffs, whoop de do. You're still making your $12 million, your $8 million, your whatever. Go to the NBA, your $30 million, right? Like, for you guys, like that's that's big incentive. I hadn't really thought about it. Um, you know, like yeah, sure, showing up to the fight, you're getting a payday. But you win the fight, you're getting a bigger payday. You get fight of the night, you're getting a real payday. Yeah. How tough is that? Uh, you know, like I go back to like not that many fights for a year. So it's really cool you're in the UFC, but it's not like all of a sudden, hey man, here's five million bucks, uh, move down to Vegas, start training down here, here's a house, blah, 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 blah it almost kind of feels and, you know, to bring it back to kind of uh, almost like a CFL feel. And I don't know if that's a good analogy or not, but you know, you're, you're working your ass off to try and make it work. It's something you love, but it's not like you're making this huge enough money to where you can just like do it full time. Or maybe now you can. Yeah. Now I can. And by now, I mean only after that second of those two fights we talked about, because my pay went up after I beat after I beat Felipe Lins. I was on a four-fight deal, and I won my first one. I lost my second one, and then I won that one against Lins. And then I accepted that fight on short notice, and UFC asked if I wanted to uh, renew my contract. So basically, instead of letting me fight my fourth fight, because if I would have went and beat Pessoa like I did, uh, and I would have had like way more negotiating power. So they like to sign you with one fight left, kind of depending on where you're at. Unless you're on a skid, maybe they let you fight it out. 
but uh, they re-signed me. I got a pretty good pay increase and I, w- I was really happy with it. And only then, only in this last fight, do I feel like I don't need another job? You know, I was working in the clubs for years and years um, just as like a bouncer and stuff. I obviously stopped when COVID started and the clubs closed, but I'm not going to go back now. I don't, I don't have to. So now, yeah, now I'm doing it technically professionally where I don't need another job to supplement it, at least at the moment. How many, how many years then? Uh, you're what, 29? So you've been going at it eight years, roughly? 20, 21 when yeah. you started? Yeah, coming up on eight years right away. Man, that's that's putting in your time. I mean, I know you're a young guy in the in the in the heavyweight division for sure. Um, yeah. But I mean, still, like eight years, most people would be like, after three, nah, we'll just carry on. I can't make a living at this. Yeah, at the start, it wasn't about making a living. It's just what I wanted to do and what I wanted to try doing. You know, at the start, yeah, I wasn't making hardly anything at all when you're when you're fighting your first few fights you're you're not making you're making like a few hundred bucks you know for the most part uh i did need those paydays as well like working as a bouncer wouldn't have got me by uh by itself either Uh, they both needed each other so but i mean i was only working as a bouncer because i wanted to be a fighter otherwise i would have done something else but yeah it took a while for anything to really pay off, but it was what I wanted to do and what I wanted to try. And I just wanted to, you know, see how good I could get and stuff. And it's still about that. It's still about, it's still about seeing if I can, you know, get, get good, get better. But now at least I can see a little bit of financial reward and yeah, it took a long time, but oh, well, no, nah, it's it's super it's uh super super cool to see and actually hear you talk about it. Um, I know from listening to some interviews, like you got a background in karate from when you were young. Like obviously you were into uh, martial arts as a kid. Was this always something you wanted to do? Like growing up, uh, you know, were you watching MMA and were you like, man, maybe I could try my hand at this? Or when did that actually become like, yeah, maybe I should try this. Uh, I'd say when I was in high school, I really started following UFC a lot and I started watching, I started watching the fights regularly. Yeah. In high school. And at some point there, I think it was, it was when Leoto Matitas kind of bursted onto the UFC scene and he started winning and he won the belt. He was a karate guy. And I was like, you know, maybe I could do that, you know? And then, yeah, I wanted to try it. So, um, took me a little while to get serious about anything after high school, but uh, I eventually gave it a shot. I've, uh, heard you mention too, you pretty much live in a fight camp, uh, and you'd take a fight at any time. Is that, what does that mean? I pretty much live in a fight camp. A lot of guys have, have a fight camp. So if they have a fight, uh, in eight weeks, they'll do an eight week camp or a six week camp. And it depends on, uh, the fighter. Some guys need it longer. Some guys have a short camp and everything's geared just towards that individual fight but I train really hard year round I train twice a day constantly and it's pretty rare that I take a day off I mean I take Saturdays off every week but I mean I train six days a week and it's rare that I take miss a day for anything so 
at any given time I can take a fight. I'm, I'm pretty much always ready to fight. Of course, when I have noticed, it's great. And I'll peak at a certain time and I can uh, really focus and get in like razor sharp by then, but I'm pretty much good to go whenever. So it's been advantageous for me. I've taken short notice fights a lot. And you're, are you never concerned? You know, we go back to the not many fights in a year. So on one hand, it's like, I'll take the opportunities that are given to you. On the other hand, it's like, if you fuck up the opportunity because you're not prepared, but then again, that's why you live in a constant fight camp, I suppose. Yeah. Plus, plus if your next fight's not booked, it's not guaranteed. What's to say you can't fight. Even if something goes wrong, even if you lose, maybe you still fight at the same time you would have anyways. It's still an extra payday in my mind. Uh, you have to be more conscientious of that thing. Maybe when you get high up in the rankings or something, but not really something I've had to worry about. So yeah, it's, uh, it's just, it's not for everybody, I guess, but it's kind of my style. It's been my MO the whole time and I'm not about to change it. You know, I've had different, uh, professional athletes on and I always enjoy their first, um, pro experience. Do you remember your first pro fight? Barely. <laughs> uh, do you remember, like, was there a rush there? Like, you know, the crazy thing is I watched your last two fights, and when you win, it's like there's, you know, probably relief like we talked about, but, like, it's not like you're jumping over the fence, uh, and I don't even know, COVID stipulations, it looks like you can't do a whole hell of a lot, but um, you're not, like, losing your mind excited. Um, is that something that started right from the beginning, or... Um, you know, in the beginning when you got your first win, were you like, hell yeah, it's on. When I got my first win, I passed out and got stretchered out of the arena. So like I said, I don't really. <laughs> what? Yeah, I was, I had no business being in a fight in my first fight. I was a fat kid. I was 21 years old training with my buddies and thought I knew what I was doing for some reason. And by training with my buddies, I mean, barely. And I fought this guy. He never fought again, but he was enormous. He was just jacked and I was fat and he beat the shit out of me for two and a half rounds, but he couldn't quite finish me. And he got so tired from beating the shit out of me on the ground. He would take me down and just wail on me and I couldn't do anything, but, but I could survive somehow. I don't know, like cover up, pull him close, try and get up, not working. I'm just getting my ass kicked. I don't know any grappling at this point, only a little bit of striking. And even then I actually don't, I only think I do, you know? So I just got fucking annihilated. And then in, in the middle, in the middle of round three, he was like so exhausted on top of me hitting me that he kind of slowed down. And I, I was able to just, sweep them and get on top and sweeps the jujitsu term really what i did was use all of the strength i had left to just muscle him over and get on top of him and then i got mount on him and i sat there dropping pillows on his face but he was too tired to block anything and i looked at my brother in the corner and my brother just did this and he like made a punching motion and i i hit him one time hard and it, he it kind of like he kind of made a sound like, oh or something like that and the ref said gotta defend yourself fighter and i was like oh my fucking god i can win <laughs> so i just like i used everything hitting him with fucking marshmallows these punches were not doing anything but he couldn't block them and and the and the in the rules if you're not de intelligently defending yourself the ref will stop the fight <laughs> so the ref's like you gotta defend yourself fighter like i'm gonna stop the fight 
I'm going to stop the fight. You have to defend yourself. He didn't want to, but this guy couldn't block. He couldn't block anymore. And the ref like looked at his cornerman and he's like, I'm sorry. And he stopped the fight. And, and I, I got up, I put my hands up. I, I walked to my corner and I'm like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And my brother is like trying to hold me up. And my dad, my dad was watching, but he came into the ring to help me up because my brother's smaller than me and he couldn't hold me up. And then I just passed out. I don't remember. And they put me on a stretcher and I got wheeled to the back. And when I uh, woke up, I had IVs in me and shit. And, and I was laying there with hooked up two IVs. And so was my, my opponent was laying on the floor. They were doing something. Just a fucking mess. <laughs> yeah. So that was my first, my first pro fight. It was like, I won just because I was tough enough and I didn't give up, but I really had no business being in there. So for my second fight, I actually got into okay shape, at least for the time. Like I thought it was okay shape, nowhere near anything good enough. Like now, obviously not even anywhere in the ballpark, but I got better. Uh, I won my second fight pretty well. And then after that, I moved to the city to train with like a pro team. Cause I'm like, I'm, I'm pushing my luck if I keep just fighting out of Bonneville, you know? So I moved to Edmonton. That's a story, man. That's a great story. I can't <laughs> believe you got, you win the fight and you get stretchered out. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. It was actually really stupid, but it, <laughs> it went and, I had my little brother in my corner and, and he had, uh, he, he, it was his, his only MMA fight, but he had Victor Valimaki and, and Tim Haig, who are two, uh, former UFC fighters who are pretty big names around the city. He had them in his corner and he was going to be this big up and coming heavyweight. I actually know the guy. He's a good dude. He's actually like a buddy of mine. Now I met him again years later. Uh, but yeah, he beat the shit out of me for the better part of three rounds. I just came out with the win somehow. And, Got lucky. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have me in tears over here. That's that's good stuff. Um, you know, you guys. So you're in the profession of fighting. You go around. You, you hop in the ring. You beat the crap out of somebody. They try and beat the crap out of you. Um, you know, in hockey, you got the guys on ice that drop the mitts, and but they're always nice guys. You know, you're such a you're an easy guy to talk to. Uh, do you go with any of the other fighters that have you ever gone with guys you fight for beers after? Like, is there anything like that or is it very much? No, no, we don't, we don't. Cause at some point we're going to have to de throw down again. Uh, I don't even know if it's cause of like, at some point you're going to have to throw down again. I would have beers with someone I fought like later, later. Like I said, that, that guy fought that first time. Uh, we've, We've had some beers and like ate sushi and stuff together. He's a good dude, but um, it would be years later. You wouldn't, I wouldn't go for beers right after a fight. Somebody lost and, and you as the winner shouldn't want to like rub it in that person's face unless you personally hate them, you know? So I don't know. It would be kind of conceited in my opinion for the winner of a fight to like try and have a beer with the loser. And it would also be weak of the loser to want to hang out with the winner. They should feel bad. You know, I, I'm not about this. Some guys like to say, Oh, you're winner. You learn, you know, it's just a fight. I don't know, man. It's, it's a little more than that to me. And if, if your mentality is you win or you learn, you're just giving yourself a cop out. If you can take the, like 
the glory and the, and the good feeling that comes with a win, then you got to take the shit that comes with losing. So uh, I would never, I can't think of a scenario where I would want to have, if I bumped into someone I fought and we we're both having a beer, you might say, Hey man, good fight and cheers it. But I'm not going to like go hang out with a guy and have beers with him after a fight, regardless of if I beat him or if I lost, I just don't want to see him after that. Yeah. I, w- I don't think, I don't think anybody really wants to go sit and have a beer with somebody they fought like moments after. I mean, hockey players are pretty weird that way, but um, I was more meaning out of a... a... Hockey hockey's a game, and I get that they're both a sport, but if you beat somebody in a game, it's not the same as if you like beat somebody up in front of the whole world. It's not the same thing. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. It's, so I was just, yeah... More of like a respect thing, but no, when you put it that way, I, I get it. And you live in a live and die in a sport that, uh, man, you, you don't have like you talk about. You can't learn from losses. Well, that's because no, no. that's because if you're zero and ten, you don't got a career, right? Like yeah, you, you, you can learn. Like I'm saying, there's there's this thing that that it, fighters like to say, it, and I guess people and everything like to say it. They'll, they'll like you win or you learn. Like, yeah, you can learn if you lose. You can also still learn if you win. And maybe you learn more from the odd loss and stuff, and you can really, really uh, fix some stuff and come back better. But it's just a weak mindset is what I'm getting at, though. You win or you learn saying, I hate it. You win or you lose. It's, <laughs> it's, very, it's a very new age uh, saying. Weak. Yeah. But I, I, I just go back to you're not in a sport where you get 82 cracks at it where you can lose a bunch and, you know, learn some lessons and carry on. Like, you get, you know, three to five cracks a year. And uh, it'd be way better to be winning and learning than uh, on the losing end over and over again. Hell, you're in the UFC. You lose too much. You're not going to be there very long. Nope. Three is the magic number for most guys. You lose three in a row, you're gone. You lose two in a row, you might be gone. You never know. So yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cutthroat. It's, it ain't about learning, man. It's about winning. You know, I, w- I wanted to ask you. You you've uh, before you were at the UFC, you uh, you've traveled a lot of different places and fought a lot of different places. Um, I've heard you talk about Kazakhstan and Russia, um, Australia, like. Going and fighting all over the world, it's got to be a, a pretty cool experience. I was wondering, you know, I've played hockey in different parts of the world. As far as fighting goes, are the crowds better somewhere? Do you even care about the crowd? Yep, the crowds are better in actually everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> really? Yes. Um, they, of course, when you fight in Russia or something, they will cheer for the Russian. Like, yeah. no will they at no point will most countries defect from their home guy uh north americans are unique in that they might but uh everywhere else just cheers for their guy but they're respectful they won't boo you unless you do something like rude like if you gave the guy the middle finger or or something but they might be quiet when you walk out you're not going to get booze though and in countries like Russia and Kazakhstan that you named, there's no guy in the crowd yelling stupid shit. Whereas there's that guy, there's a hundred of that guy in Canada, the US, even Australia. You get that guy like, kick him in the dick, you know, that, that fucking idiot out in the crowd. And you hear that idiot, man. I hate him. He thinks he's being funny, but fuck. These guys are so stupid. 
you know, if heaven forbid you're fucking grappling, it's like, hey, it looks like, looks like they're 69 in. You know, you hear that guy scream. You hear that guy, knee, knee, and they're on the ground. Fucking how? Like, there's <laughs> these stupid assholes, and they don't seem to exist in most countries. It's a very, uh, you know what? I don't even want to say North American. I bet those guys are in the UK as well. But, yeah, in Russia, um, in Eastern Europe, no. Is it just because you can't uh, understand them? They're, they're no, no they're, they're not yelling stuff. They're not yelling they're, stuff. No, like, if they're very encouraging um, of, and respectful. They're, like, reverent of it. They, they really appreciate the sport. Same with Asia. In Asia, they're very uh, – I don't want to say they're, like, educated fans, but maybe because they'll, like, clap for a guard pass. You know, like they, they appreciate what's going on and they're not just, they're not just that drunken guy double fisting in the crowd yelling at the ref to stand them up or getting mad when the guys aren't just standing there toe on the line and dropping bombs on each other. So of course that's exciting. I like to watch that. I mean, I get, I love watching a fight if two guys just stand there and bang it out, but you got to understand that that's not the most intelligent way to go about it most of the time. So uh, yeah, I mean, of course, if I'm fighting in Canada, the crowd's going to be on my side. So, I mean, I don't have to worry about it. But there's always some douchebags in the crowd in, in any English-speaking countries. Like, it, the crowds are very different in Eastern Europe and in Asia than they are uh, here. How about the, uh, like the event center where it happens in those countries? Have you had, like, a cool experience where it's like, we're going to fight in there? Like, that, that's pretty cool. Um. We, we, well, I fought in, in uh, Manchester, Manchester Arena or Manchester Stadium or whatever the big one is in the UK. That was like a cool place to fight, you know, just a really huge, really cool uh, how many venue. People, how many people in that venue? It wasn't full, man. It wasn't even close. That was for ACB. There was like a lot of people in there, but I don't know how many it seats and I couldn't guess for you how many people were in there, but it was just a cool place to fight. The arena in Kazakhstan was pretty cool, but uh, I couldn't tell you what it was. Uh, St. Petersburg, I had a pretty decent arena. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just cool being able to go to a lot of countries and places that I definitely wouldn't have otherwise been able to go to. I liked experiencing uh, the culture and uh, the food and, and fighting in foreign places. It I definitely uh, am happy that I got to do those things. Yeah, well, and I mean, to go to so many different places and, and get to truck the nuts or do what you love, right? Like, I mean, very few people get to experience that. And you've, uh, like I say, you've got to go to several different places. I'm sure everybody around this area is wondering if uh, the UFC is going to bring you home so everybody can watch you in Edmonton. I know you're scheduled to, and then that kind of fell through right at the start. Um, and now with COVID going on, I mean, who knows if that's going to happen anytime soon, how difficult was it to have your first UFC fight, uh, scheduled and then postponed? Oh, I was bummed. Uh, it wasn't just like, it wasn't just like postponed with notice. I, I was about to weigh in. It was the night before weigh-ins when, uh, I got the call that that idiot tested positive for some sort of steroid and. Uh, that my fight was off. It was too late, too late for them to find an opponent for me. Uh, because again, the weigh-ins were the following morning. So 
yeah, that sucked. I was really bummed. But UFC was good enough to pay me my show money, at least for that fight. And I got my Reebok money. So I wasn't like broke after because I was worried about it. I really needed that payday. So I got that. And then I ended up fighting in October. So that was like three months later than when I was supposed to fight. Yeah, it sucked. And I still hate that guy, but oh well. And uh, What are you going to do? Yeah. As for fighting in Edmonton, um, I, w- I would love to. I-, I would love to fight anywhere in Canada now. Um, I haven't fought in Canada for UFC yet because of that one. I fought Boston. I fought in South Korea. And then I fought in Vegas in the Apex Center with no crowd because of COVID and then in um, Abu Dhabi. So I'm... I couldn't guess for you when anything's going to go back to normal. I mean, you know how it is. Everybody's, everybody's really worried about stuff right now. So who knows? Might be years. Who, how, how different of a, an environment is it to have no fans? Like, Oh, it, it's different. It's, it's eerie. You walk in, I mean, you have your walkout music, but it's quiet. You know, people aren't cheering or booing or anything. So it's, yeah, it's weird, but, uh, I function fine in it. I function fine either way. Your brain filters out what you need to hear. You know, sometimes you use the crowd's reaction as to how hard your perceived shot might've been. Sometimes you hit someone in the face and the crowd's reaction is such that, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, it didn't actually hurt that guy that bad, but it must've looked bad. So that's good for the judges. You know, like you, you, your brain kind of takes these things into account and, I only hear the guys yelling the stupid stuff for the most part when I'm not fighting, you know, when I'm watching fights or something like that. Your brain might hear it, but it doesn't really affect you, at least not me. With with nobody there, though, it's kind of like you're sparring, like the same atmosphere. When you're sparring hard and you're going hard, there's your coaches and a couple training partners watching. So it's reminiscent of that. Uh, either way, I, I'm – you know, I'm happy to have a crowd, of course, and I'm I'm happy to fight just for, you know, people at home watching on TV. Either way, uh, I'm getting paid and I'm there to fight somebody. So that's that's my job. Well, hell, there's a lot of people watching. There's nothing else, right? Like, we can't do anything else. But uh, it'd be, I mean, I'm sure for you to have a packed building and the place just rocking, like, I assume that's got to be, like, the best. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's a good feeling. I've only fought early on cards for UFC with a uh, crowd. I mean, obviously I've fought in front of crowds before, but I've never fought in like a packed UFC level crowd. Uh, you know, here are in Edmonton for Unified, our fights would be at uh, like the River Cree or something like that, so it's not a huge venue. Uh and for ACB and M1 fighting in Russia and Kazakhstan, they were in big places with a decent amount of people, but it's still not the same as like a packed UFC stadium or something. But um, when I fought in Boston, I was the first fight of the night. So, I mean, it was like a half full, like no one's there yet, you know? Uh, And in Korea, we were a few fights in, we weren't right at the start or anything. Yeah. There was a lot of people in Korea and the atmosphere is, is pretty cool. So I mean, I, I guess we'll see maybe, uh, sooner or later I'll have a big fight and it'll be on, uh, in front of a live crowd at a bigger venue. But again, that's all up in the air. So, oh, well.
How about, uh, you know, a good walkout tune everybody enjoys? How you pick yours? You got a, you got a system or is it uh, something you've used for a long time? Or uh, I change my walkout song every fight, and it's usually a song that, uh, first of all, I like my walkout music to be kind of calm, kind of slower myself. That's, I get, I get hyped up from weird stuff, but I, I like the lyrics to pertain somehow to my fight, at least in my mind, it might be very abstract. It might not be cut and dry, but, uh, I pick a song that for some reason, um, to me, <laughs> lyrically pertains to that individual fight. So what are some of the songs you picked? My last fight, I walked out to Motorcycle by Coulter Wall. Oh, Coulter Wall, man. That's a good pick. Yeah. Uh, time before that, I walked out to Fur by Blitz and Trapper. In Korea, I walked out to From Here On Out by The Killers. And then in Boston, I walked out to Son of Man by Phil Collins, I think. Interesting choices. That's uh, those are some different across the board, I guess. Yeah. Well, we got a we got a segment here, uh, the Crude Master Final Five. It's the last kind of just five hit them questions. But before we get there, what is next for you? Do you know yet? Yeah, I'm fighting Andre Arlovsky November seventh. And where is that going to be at? No idea. No idea. You, they don't tell you where it's. When will you find that out? Well, they usually do, but um, right now my contract even says like in a location to be determined. I don't know when I'll find out. They're they're still putting together where they can and can't have shows as the COVID regulations change from state to state. Yeah, no kidding. Well, fair enough. Okay. Um, how about uh, how can people follow you? Uh, social media, that kind of thing. I'm sure uh, you're, well, I know you're on Twitter, but if you're on other things. Yep. Yep. At Bulldozer Bozer on Twitter and Instagram, Tanner the Bulldozer Bozer on Facebook. Cool. Well, let's get to our Crude Master Final Five. Uh, shout out to Heath and Tracy McDonald, huge supporters of the podcast since the very beginning. Uh, your first one, if you could sit down for a beer, kind of like we're doing with anyone of your choice, who would you want? Oh. Dude, I I suck at stuff like this. I have not given this thought. Uh, shit, I don't know. Uh, you know, if you keep going the way you're going, I wonder if you're going to be sitting across from Mr. Rogan at some point. That'd be pretty fucking cool to watch. Sure, I'll, I'll answer that with Joe Rogan. I bet he doesn't drink beer. He's pretty health conscious, but I'll have a beer and he can have a joint. Uh, that's a lie. I think he has... Uh... Uh, fuck, I'm scrambling on that name again. But he had, uh, well, he got high with the one guy and they talked for four hours and they were drinking Bud Lights. Yeah. Oh, did he? Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. I'll, I'll, I'll say Joe Rogan. I, sorry, I don't have any heroes or anything like that. I'm bad at You don't have any don't heroes? Want... You don't have any, like, a mentor in fighting? Again, I looked up to Leoto Machida when I was young, but that dude drinks his own piss every morning, so I don't think I want sit down across from him and have a beer <laughs> how about this if you could party with one person who would you want dude I, 
I, I don't even party. I drink beer. Like that's what I do. And I, I like play beers, be with my buddies. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't look up. I don't care about celebrity or I don't even know who I think is cool. How about I say Coulter wall? Cause I was just talking about his music. He seems like a chill dude. That'd be uh that'd be all right. He's got a fucking wicked sound, man. Oh yeah. I love that guy. Love his music. Uh, well, how about a COVID hobby? You've been locked up an awful lot. What the hell have you been doing for two weeks at a time to keep uh, your mind, uh, you know, going? I played a lot of Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go? Yep. Really? Why Pokemon Go? I've been playing it since I came out. I love Pokemon. I've played every game that ever came out since I was like eight or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Ah, man, here is the big heavyweight, the bulldozer, and he plays Pokemon. That's sweet. Yeah, man. What's one place you want to fight at that you haven't uh, haven't been? Japan. Why Japan? Japan is kind of the, uh, it's where a lot of martial arts had their beginnings. Not all. Uh, You know, wrestling came from other parts of the world, like Greece and stuff, and, uh, boxing came from i guess the uk kind of uh but a lot of martial arts all many many martial arts came from japan so it's kind of like the home ground for uh for martial arts as we know them and i think it would be cool to fight there and you know those kind of karate being my background it would just be neat Oh, I got you. I got you. Well, since you're a beer drinker and you just like to have a few beers, for the fifth one, what uh, what's maybe your beer of choice or uh, a beer that surprised you? Because you've been uh, a ton of different countries, which means you've got to have some uh, fantastic beer from all over the world. What's one that stuck out? Uh, a beer that stuck out from somewhere else in the world? Mm, the... Whew. You know, they, they got good beer everywhere, but it's the thing about the thing about Europe is that they have beer from a lot of other countries. So I'm trying to think of like where I had a beer that was brewed there. Kazakh beer was pretty good. Kazakh beer was fine. Uh, obviously the UK's got uh, good beer. I couldn't tell you the names of the beers I had there. I can tell you the one from Kazakhstan though. It was called beer Khan, and it was like Genghis Khan, but beer Khan. <laughs> I'll even show you the can. Yep, can. Hold on. I got that somewhere over here. <laughs> yeah. Check that baby out. That's friggin' sweet, man. Yeah, so that's uh I'll go with I'll go with Kazakhstan just for the novelty of the beer. Well man, appreciate you hopping on with me. Uh it's been super uh cool to to meet you hear a little bit of your story i wish you had nothing but success here in the future and we'll be uh watching uh for your november fight and uh, kick some ass yeah thanks a lot man i appreciate it thanks for having me on super cool man if you're ever through lloyd minster you make sure you drop me a line i'd love to get you in the studio and feed you a couple brewskis yeah sounds good man thanks appreciate it appreciate okay can i give a shout out to some sponsors quick too oh shit yeah yeah fire away let's do that uh my sponsors are Paul Paddle Services, PPS. Uh, been sponsoring me for a long time, so thanks to him. Thanks to Paul. Uh, thanks to BBN Consulting and Premier Built Garages. 
and also Mealcraft for uh, helping me uh, stay in shape. So thank you to my sponsors. Hey folks, thanks again for joining us today. If you just stumble on the show and like what you hear, please click subscribe. Remember, every Monday and Wednesday, a new guest will be sitting down to share their story. The Sean Newman Podcast is available for free on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever else you find your podcast fix. Until next time.